Hi, everybody, and Happy New Year. This is Dan Walker. Welcome to another edition of U.S. Law Radio. Well, no secret, the complexion of commercial lending and borrowing has taken on a new look over the past couple of years. The economic downturn has taken its toll, and that's resulted in a number of changes in lending that we should all be aware of. U.S. Law members John Cromey and Thomas Scuderi are with the firm Connell Foley in Roseland, New Jersey. They've been doing quite a bit of work with their clients in commercial loans, and they're standing by with some thoughts on the subject. John, Tom, welcome into U.S. Law Radio. Well, thanks for having us. Thanks. John, what sort of an impact has the economic downturn had on commercial loans? Well, Dan, obviously this has been a historic economic slowdown. really started back in 2007. The credit markets in particular have been affected by the economic downturn. Money that had been readily available has gotten a lot harder for businesses and borrowers to obtain for new projects. For existing projects, borrowers have found themselves in a whole new world and otherwise viable businesses have been hampered by contraction in the economy and in demand. So it's created a lot of stress for both lenders and borrowers as even existing loan relationships have had to undergone increased scrutiny and lenders have had to tighten up their underwriting and credit policies and then with the overall contraction and a number of new lenders have come in and evaluated relationships, made decisions to get out of certain lines of loans to certain lines of businesses and in general has caused a fair amount of upheaval. John, can you spell out for us how a loan goes south, goes into default? Sure, I'd be happy to. Obviously, most loans are typically documented by a set of comprehensive written documents that dictate and spell out the terms of the business relationship, terms of the credit facility, pursuant to which a lender is willing to extend uh, a loan or credit to a borrower. The most obvious way for a loan to go into default would be for a borrower not to make a payment upon maturity. But that's not the exclusive default. Often, loan documentation in the commercial setting has loan covenants, which are really promises and commitments by a borrower to meet certain thresholds and to meet certain financial goals. They can be liquidity-based. They can be loan-to-value. They can be a function of called debt service coverage so that a borrower doesn't have too much liquidity. If any of those covenants are not met by a borrower, and are not subsequently cured within a reasonable amount of time, a bank has the right in most circumstances to call a default and require that the borrower take affirmative action to correct the deficiency. And failing that, the lender typically has the right to exercise its default remedies under loan documentation, which again typically could mean anything from foreclosing on collateral security or having the borrower exit the relationship by way of a new lender coming in. Most borrowers want to avoid the potential of being in default. Good communication between a borrower and lender, especially if covenants are not going to be met. In general, most lenders are willing to work with borrowers who are showing good faith attempts to comply and are reaching out affirmatively to their lender with counsel and with their accountants to explain a deficiency situation and to affirmatively take steps to address it. Okay, Tom, you're up next. What types of loan provisions does a lender typically use to keep their eye on the status of those they're working with? Yes, you know, John got into this a little bit, but the typical covenants you have are found in your loan documents. The typical covenants are things such as loan-to-value ratios, debt service coverage ratios, minimum net worth ratios, and occupancy ratios. Now, the goal with those covenants 
is without them, a bank would have to sit back, and so long as the borrower is making the monthly payments on a loan, they would have no clue as to whether the horizon wasn't looking good on that particular loan. No way to monitor the loan and see that it may be a default or a problem was forthcoming. A borrower may be able to continue to make payments, but still there may be things happening within that loan that are problematic. With a loan to value, the value of the property could be falling so substantially that now the security is not as valuable as it once was to the lender, and and upon a default, the lender would have serious problems and may lose money in a foreclosure. With the debt service coverage ratios, the bank is monitoring that the borrower will have enough funds or that there's enough cash flow to be able to deal with the debt that that particular borrower needs to take care of on a monthly basis or quarterly basis. With minimum net worth ratios, that most of the time gets to guarantors. The loan may have been approved based upon certain net worth of guarantors, and that may have changed substantially, which would, of course, affect security of that loan. And occupancy ratios, typical with buildings that have a decent amount of tenants, now all of a sudden, if there's a change in occupancy, vacancies, now that borrower may have difficulty servicing that loan. Can you talk to us, Tom, about the pros and cons of a loan workout as opposed to the alternatives such as litigation and bankruptcy? Sure. In order to assess the advantages and disadvantages when a loan becomes troubled and and workout discussions begin, each side really needs to determine what their respective strengths and weaknesses associated at that point. But look, lenders want to lend money, collect interest, and make money that way. They typically do not want to be in the business of running projects, owning buildings. So with that as the background, banks usually want to make C loans work. And unless there's an ability to refinance the loan, they want to be able to sit down with borrowers and work things out as opposed to get into litigation and deal with bankruptcy filings if they can avoid it. Those type of situations become costly. They take time and they certainly don't help the bank increase its profitability. Those are the main advantages and disadvantages, nor do borrowers really want to go down that path either because it does cost them a lot more money, and if there's an alternative that can be achieved, that would be beneficial to all parties. And John, due diligence is ever important, isn't it? Sure is, Dan. As Tom alluded, in order for a lender to make an informed decision about whether to work out or restructure a loan as opposed to invoking full default remedies, Knowing as much background about the borrower's current position and the current default status and what the path forward for the borrower appears to be is critical, and that's where due diligence comes in. That process allows a lender to make informed decisions about the current status of the borrower and the prospects for the future. Similarly, in today's market and especially over the last couple of years with all the uncertainty, it wasn't just borrowers that were having problems but also a lot of lenders. And so, you know, a well-informed borrower should have a pretty good idea of how stable and secure its lender is and what the prospects are for the future for that lender. And another thing borrowers should be aware of is if there is, in fact, any sort of defect or deficiency in the loan documentation in the collateral security that the bank believes it had obtained but perhaps didn't because of an oversight or because of an error or mistake, that type of analysis should be completed by a borrower as well because it will allow a borrower to perhaps have a more effective negotiating position at the table. So, Tom, under what circumstances is litigation the right move, would you say? Well, again, specifically, I think you want to make sure that you have a clear analysis and understanding of the current financial position of your borrower, that you're getting real-time information that has been reviewed and certified to by both management, but also ideally by outside accountants who have taken a critical look at the data. 
I think from the standpoint of operational issues, you're going to want to make sure you have a full disclosure of any positive or negative issues that may have an impact on the company. And that could range from loss of a major customer, uh, major bankruptcy filing with a vendor. It could be real estate issues, environmental type issues. It could be significant or material litigation outside the ordinary course of business. All of those factors, that myriad of issues can have a positive or a negative impact on the borrower and a lender needs to have as clear an understanding as possible of those issues when they're evaluating whether to try to work through uh, and partner with a borrower or whether to invoke a strict reading of collateral security rights. Uh, you know, the thing with litigation, as I said before, it's, it's usually not the preferred avenue. However, when it gets to the point where a lender just doesn't think a workout is possible, doesn't think there are really any alternatives, they may have to resort to litigation to deal with either negligent management of a particular borrower or just that they're seeing their security become wasted and they really need to litigate to protect themselves. What about the pros and cons of going Chapter 11? Yeah, bankruptcies have become a really good option in certain circumstances, and I think that at any point during the workout process, all the parties are considering what benefits there might be to a bankruptcy. Bankruptcies usually create an avenue that allow the parties involved to either discharge, decrease, or even spread out the payments of certain obligations, and that can provide a borrower with the financial breathing room that's necessary to operate and continue forward. Obviously not a good situation all the way around. So, John, what are some of the alternatives to a workout? Well, Dan, the most obvious one would be to have a substitute lender come in and refinance the credit facility. That's ideal for everyone involved. A borrower gets out of a relationship that maybe was going sour. New lender has a new business relationship. Another would be for the existing lender to restructure the current credit facility to perhaps give an extension perhaps give some relief on payment terms or financial covenants. And in conjunction with that, oftentimes borrowers and lenders will employ what's known as a forbearance agreement, where a default, which had been noted, will be deferred in terms of invoking rights by the lender in order for the borrower to, again, catch its breath and show that it can, in fact, move forward and put the loan back on a performing basis. Well, Tom, none of what John just talked about comes without negotiation. Can you give us a few negotiation pointers? Well, after they've completed their due diligence and they determine what their respective strengths and weaknesses are, lenders and borrowers have to determine where they want to go with this particular loan. I mean, is it something that can be saved? Are there factors that can be restructured to help them with the loan and continue on in some sort of beneficial manner, or are there not? I mean, certain of those factors can include the costs associated with it, maybe the interest rate and the term, either extending the term or lowering the interest rate, modifying covenants to help the borrower out or increasing or adding covenants to protect the lender, the possibility of either fixing a defect in the collateralization of the loan or possibly even adding collateral. And many times that will also include a waiver of claims against either the borrower or the guarantor in connection with the restructuring or forbearance. Okay, well, Tom, we talked about alternatives to workouts. What types of alternatives are you seeing a lot of out there nowadays? I mean, other than, of course, the refinancing, restructuring we discussed earlier, bankruptcy. Some of those bankruptcies are pre-structured, meaning the parties know what they can get in bankruptcy. They have kind of an agreement in place, and they walk into court almost hand-in-hand hand to accomplish a goal of a plan of reorganization that will help the loan go forward and satisfy both parties' needs. Another alternative is a deed in lieu of foreclosure, 
which in essence is the borrower executing a deed to a bank saying, basically, bank, here's the uh, security in lieu of actually going forward with a foreclosure. The pitfalls with this are where a foreclosure would possibly wipe out any junior lien holders on that security. A deed in lieu of foreclosure means the bank would be taking the property subject to the junior lien holders, which could be obviously problematic depending on the value of the property. An assignment for the benefit of creditors is basically a state court remedy, which is similar to a bankruptcy, but does not have the same powers that a bankruptcy would have. There's no bankruptcy court. There's no bankruptcy court orders. And in essence, it's just not as powerful as bankruptcy. And as with any loan, a receiver can be appointed to, in essence, run the, let's say, the building or the project or the borrower entity to satisfy all parties' interests. Gotcha. So bottom line here, guys, is that while distressed commercial loans aren't the most pleasant of situations, they can be navigated effectively. Okay, John, how do you want to wrap things up for us? Well, Dan, I certainly would agree with that. And we encourage our our clients and our lender clients, the best way to get through this process is to approach it in a practical, thoughtful manner predicated on good disclosure and an element of trust. And if people go in working toward that goal of trying to get through a problem or situation, It can be done in a way that minimizes the damage and the cost and the delay to all involved. Obviously, there are going to be some circumstances where the lender is going to have to invoke a strict reading of its collateral security rights and take a litigation approach. But before that eventuality, we counsel our clients to try to evaluate the pros and cons of that process and to see if a loan can, in fact, be turned around. And in this market, most borrowers are very mindful of that and are working closely with their lenders their legal accounts and their accounts to achieve that common goal. Great way to leave it. John Cromie, Tom Scuderi, thanks so much for helping us out here on U.S. Law Radio. Thanks, Dan. Our pleasure. Thanks, Dan. Well, that is going to do it, folks, because we're out of time. U.S. Law Radio is produced by Roger Yaffe. Send your comments and show ideas his way. He loves to hear from you. This edition of U.S. Law Radio has been brought to you by SCA Limited, forensic engineering and origin cause experts working nationwide since 1970, and by Ringler Associates. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided injured parties and their attorneys with the finest structured settlement services. This is Dan Walker. Thanks for listening in, folks, and we'll see you again next time for another new edition of U.S. Law Radio. U.S. Law Radio.